Good evening. Greet you all in Jesus' name again this evening. It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord once again with fellow believers. So this evening, I would like to give opportunity for you to share. Um, if you have any testimony, if you have a praise, prayer request, whatever it is, I'd like to just open it up to give opportunity for you to share. I think it's good for us as a brotherhood to share with each other how God is working in our lives, what needs we have, prayer requests, whatever it is. So whatever, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, feel free to share it. Because I kind of sprang this on you, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about it. And I'll ask for our theme song to be led at this time, just so, so you can't totally back out and say you didn't have time to think. So feel, feel free to share after the song. Best I can, but if I falter, don't worry about me.
Thank you, Brother Dallas, for leading us in that song. Open up now if anybody has something they'd like to share. Any testimony with how God has been working in your life, not necessarily just from the revivals this week, but just overall. And it's a fulfillment of prophecy. We shouldn't actually be surprised when we see these things coming because God's word is clear that in the last days we're going to see these things. Anybody else? not, you can turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 8, Psalms chapter 8. <clears throat> 
And I guess just for my testimony, just thinking about the short time I've had with you all here so far, it's been a real blessing to spend time with you all to to me it's just always such a blessing to be able to go and be with people that I've never met in my life and yet feel like family and that's the awesomeness of being part of the family of God and I want to thank you all for your hospitality the love you show continue show that love to each other Psalm chapter 8 I'm going to read the entire chapter Oh Lord our God, Lord how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mind, mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air and the fish of the seas, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And I hope this is true for each one of us this evening. That God is the one we worship. God is the one we adore. And that our Lord is excellent. That his name is excellent in our sight. That we can know without a doubt that his name is above all other names. Just as David said in these verses. David says when he considers the heavens, when he looks at all the marvelous things that God created. This afternoon after, after lunch, I walked up on the hill behind Ellis's house and sat in the tree stand up there for a while and was just watching the, the animals chased a few deer out of the woods, watched the squirrels, saw the buds starting to come out of the, in the trees. And it's amazing. It truly is amazing when you study these things. When you look at the moon and the stars, there, there's a lot of information available now on the moon, on the stars, the size, the distance, all of that. But yet, even with all the information that man has acquired, they haven't even come close to knowing any, everything. But yet, God created that with his, in just six days, just by speaking it into existence. And when David looks at this, when he sees this, he asks the question, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Who am I as a man? That God even notices me compared to all the marvelous creation that he has made. We're currently in a week of revival here at church. And I believe as we look at the, the world around us, the, the nature around us, it's springtime. 
Like I mentioned, you see this, the buds starting to come out in the trees. You see the grass turning green. You see the plants beginning to grow. And to me, this is a picture of what revival is. When there's new life springing forth, when there's branches that weren't producing fruit, they begin to produce fruit. They, they push. They, they, they begin to produce the way God designed them to. New life appears. Things that appeared to be dead begin to blossom. Seeds are being planted in preparation for harvest. When we go plant our gardens, we're just planting these tiny little seeds. And we can do nothing to actually make that seed grow into a plant. But yet we have faith that God's creation principles are going to continue. That that seed's going to germinate. That it's going to grow. That it's going to abound in the way that God designed it to. And it's going to bring fruit. Verse 5 says that God made man a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. And then 6 to 8, he made us to have dominion over his creation, over all the animals and birds. When we compare ourselves to the rest of God's creation, we begin to feel very small. And again, when we look at the vastness of the solar system, the complexity of it, and how God designed everything to continue to function. We can again ask the same questions as David. How can man, how can I be of any importance to a great God that spoke this into existence? A number of months ago, I was feeling kind of discouraged with trying to figure out life here in the States wasn't too long after we had moved back from Haiti, taking on new responsibilities at church, new responsibilities with a new job, and at the same time still working with the SALT program in Haiti. And that week there was just a lot of different things, it felt like a lot of different things coming at me, studying to preach the, the following Sunday, learning new things at my new job, and also we were having some problems with some computers in Haiti, and I was trying to do tech support over the phone, and it just felt like nothing was working. I was feeling overwhelmed, probably a better way to say it. And in frustration, I asked this question, why am I here? And I was, at that point, I was referring to why am I here in Pennsylvania? Some of these problems I was dealing with, if I would just be in Haiti, I could just fix it. Like, I know how to do it, it's just hard for me to explain how to do it in Creole when I'm not there to see it. So I was frustrated and, and I asked, why am I here? But as I thought about it, I took that question to another level. And I asked myself the question, why am I here? Why am I here on this earth? Why was I created? Why was I born in the United States of America, in a, the wealthiest country in the world, or close to it, definitely in the, in the top whatever percent it is? What right do I have to even be here? Why did God even 
create man and place him here? Why am I as a human? Why am I here? What is my purpose for being here? And that's the question I'd like to look at this evening. And even though I asked the original question when I was feeling frustrated, I believe that we can all learn. God has a lesson. God had a lesson for me to learn from, and I think it's something we can all learn as we look at that question, why am I here? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. So in thinking about why am I here, I guess the, the first question I'd like to ask along with that is, is it about me? Is the reason I'm here because of me and what I want, what I need? Is that why I'm here? Matthew 20, verse, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So here we find Jesus' response to his disciples requesting to be allowed to sit beside him in heaven. Verse 21, the mother of James and John, she comes and asks the question, and she's obviously referring to the earthly kingdom that they still assumed that Christ had come to set up. An earthly kingdom that was going to rule over the Jews, and they would no longer be under the, the rule of the Romans. Verse 22 and 23, Jesus is saying, you don't even understand what you're asking for. The cup and baptism are referencing his suffering and his death. They say, yes, they're ready for it. And Jesus told them they will face it. Just as we, as we continue to read through the scriptures, we see that many of, them, many of the disciples were killed for their faith. But he's saying, I can't give that place to you. That is for the Father to decide. But then verse 24, And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation. So the other disciples, they heard about the request, and it made them a little grumpy about it. It's like, who do you think you are that you would have the right to even ask to sit there? Because obviously in, in that time, they're thinking about a king, and the people that are sitting on each side of the king are basically their second in command, and they're asking, who do you think you are to even 
think you could be in that position. And Jesus called them together. And I can almost imagine he's trying to tell them again that that's not how it works. I was thinking about it's almost like, I don't know if your children ever do this or if you children that are here ever do this, but where you start arguing about something that doesn't even exist. My children do that occasionally, and I know my mom tells a story about me and my younger brother. One point we we were pretending to eat food and we had imaginary bananas there that we were eating. And I grabbed an imaginary brother, banana from my brother and we started arguing it to the point where we were hitting each other and crying about it. And there was nothing there to fight about. And this is, that's kind of what the disciples were doing because Jesus was saying these positions don't even exist for you. Why are you fighting about it? And he explains to them how it works in his kingdom which we referred to some of this on Monday evening. And it, we sometimes refer to it as the upside-down kingdom. He says, whoever wants to be great or a chief, let him be a servant. Jesus did not come to be served or to be ministered to. Instead, he came and ministered to others and gave his life a ransom for many. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So this seems very clear that it's not about me. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30, I'm not going to read that, but it's where we find the parable of the talents. I think most of us know that story well. And I might dig into that deeper later in the week. But just a few points on that. So the talents mentioned here is referencing money in, in the parable. But practical, practical application can apply to anything that God gives us, whether it's money, time, talents, opportunities to help or witness. These are things, something that God gives to us. And one note is, so the, when, when the master came back and he asked the servants to give account, they were not asked if they enjoyed their time. They weren't asked if they liked what they were given. They weren't even asked if they wanted to be there where they were. What they were asked is, what did you do with what you were given? Another thing you can note from that parable is they were not rewarded according to what they were given, and they were not even rewarded according to what they had at the time the master asked for them to give account. They were rewarded according to what they had done with what they were given. Because if you read that account, you find the exact same response was given to the first two servants. But yet the amount of talents that they had was vastly different. If I remember correctly, I, I would have to read it again, but I think it was, were they given two and five and they had ten and four, something like that. So you see, the amount they had was vastly different. 
But yet the reward was the same. It was because they had done their best with what they were given. The third servant was punished. I don't think he was punished because he only had one talent. But he was punished because he had done absolutely nothing with that talent he was given. So it's not about me and what I want, but rather it's what do I do with what God has blessed me with? What do I do with the opportunities that God gives to me? How do I fulfill the commands of Christ? So in thinking again about the question, why am I here? We see it's not because of me. So then, is it about other people? Is it, are we, am I here because of others? Am I here to do things for others? Is that the reason for me being here? Is it about them and what they want? And just thinking back to my original question and my frustration at that time, if, if this is the case, then we should have just stayed in Haiti because there was still work to do there. We were still needed. And after all, isn't going to the ends of the earth one of the greatest callings as Christians? So is that why I'm here? Since the time that God called Abraham, he made it clear that through Abraham and his descendants, that he would bless Abraham and his descendants if they trusted in him. But he also made it clear, if you read, if I'm not mistaken, it's every single time that God promised Abraham that he would bless him, he also adds something else to it. He says that through them, all nations would be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Abraham, Abram, Get thee out of that country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. If you move back to chapter 18, verse 18, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Again in chapter 22 in Genesis, verse 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So many times in the Old Testament, it seems we see a theme of physical blessings from this promise. When the children of Israel honored God 
When they served the Lord, they were blessed physically. They were blessed as a nation. And then in the New Testament, we find this referenced again in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Verses 6 through 9. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So God's promised blessing it was not just a physical blessing, but it's also a promise of eternal life. Here we see it through faith in Christ. And again, it wasn't just for the natural bloodline descendants of Abraham, but everyone that puts their faith in Jesus becomes an heir to that promise that God made to Abraham. Matthew chapter 28, the last verses of Matthew chapter 28, we find what we refer to as the Great Commission. I'd just like to turn there and read the last three verses. So as Christians, we are now receiving that blessing that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the world. So Jesus commanded his disciples, which includes me, which includes each and every one of us, to take his message to all the nations. To take Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, to all nations. So if God's plan from the beginning was to bless Abraham and his descendants so that through them all nations may be blessed. Isn't spreading this blessing or telling all nations, isn't this the most important thing? Isn't, doesn't that really make it the reason I'm here is for others? If you look at it from only from that angle, it seems like, yes, that is why I'm here. But yet I think we need to just step back and look at this promise again. And the reason is because this promise is still go ongoing today. It's, it, it's what we call progressive fulfillment. Instead of there being just God promised to bless them, and then he blessed Abraham and it was finished. No, it's ongoing. It's continuing. Material blessings to Abraham and his descendants. That was a fulfillment, but it was not the ultimate fulfillment. The fact that we are together here that we have the opportunity to come together to worship God. That's a, that's a fulfillment of the promise. 
In Galatians chapter 3, where we read earlier, where Christ, through faith in Christ, we as Gentiles become part of that promise. That is an ultimate fulfillment of the promise. Where one preeminent descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ, Paul is saying that anyone that believes in Christ becomes one of the sons and daughters of Abraham. And along with this, because we're now heirs of the promise, we are also called to become a blessing to the nations. So Christ was the ultimate fulfillment of the promise, but yet it's still ongoing, it's still progressive, it's still not finished. We're still experiencing the blessing, we're still called to pass that blessing on, to continue Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their face and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. So I believe in these verses we see a fulfillment of this promise. And I would say it's, an, it's another of the ultimate fulfillments. An innumerable multitude of people from every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, standing before the throne of God, worshiping him, glorifying him. Because when, when God told Abraham, I will bless you, I will bless your descendants, so that... And through that, bless all nations. Why was he doing that? And I think it's safe to say when we look at these verses, that God's ultimate desire, his ultimate reason for creating me, for creating you, was that we would, that I would glorify God, that I would bring glory to his name. And I say this based on the fact that God created the entire universe. We were talking earlier about the universe. David talked about it in Psalms, Psalms 8 where we read there, the marvelous universe. We see the wonders that God created, the intricate beauty in these flowers that are pushing out, the stars, the amazing creation of God. But yet we also know that the earth, as we know it, this marvelous creation, the things that we marvel at, will one day be destroyed. So if God created, I believe that God created this entire universe that will one day be destroyed, so that in the end, what we see here in Revelation chapter 7, that is going to be the result. That is going to be 
what is left. It's God's creation, man, in whom he breathed his life, eternal life, that you and I will be praising and glorifying his name. Just a little bit more on that. So when we send our children to school, what end result are we looking for? When they're in first grade, we're happy, we're excited. When they learn the phonetics, when they learn the alphabet, they learn to count. But we would be disappointed if they would get to 12th grade and they would still be coming here from school and say, Dad, I can say, ah, eh, eh, ah, ah. Like, really? Is that all? So our end goal is to prepare them to be adults. And if that is our end goal for when they graduate, then that is the very reason we start them in first grade in the first place, so that they arrive at that place. And I believe that that is what God wanted in the end, that man is glorifying him, that people from every tribe, every nation would glorify him. I believe we can know that that's his desire from the beginning. So it's not really, I'm not really here because of others, but I am here to bring glory to God. And we find this theme throughout the Bible. In Revelations chapter 7 here where I read, Every tribe, every nation glorifying God. Isaiah 43, verses 6 through 7. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Again in Jeremiah 13, verse 11. For as the girdle cleaveth through the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory. But they would not hear. God's desire was that the nation of Israel would glorify him. But they didn't. Brother Luke shared about the the exodus from Egypt and the, the way God worked through Moses to save the children of Israel when the Egyptian army was behind them. But if you read a little bit earlier in Exodus chapter 14, you see why God sent, why God allowed the Egyptian army to chase the Israelites. And it wasn't just simply to show the Israelites a marvelous miracle with the Egyptian army drowning, but instead, at Exodus 14, 4, God says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So these are just a few examples from the Old Testament. And we continue to see this throughout the New Testament. Christ's entire life brought glory to God. After Lazarus' death, Jesus said in John 11, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. 
Another place we see it is in Jesus' prayers. He prayed to glorify the Father. So the reason we are here is to bring glory to God. And even more importantly, God has a passionate desire that all people would glorify him. Every nation would glorify him. And God's plan for mankind didn't change in the New Testament. It has always been and still is that man would glorify him. And he has given us work as the, now as the descendants of Abraham to pass that blessing to others and that through this more people would glorify his name and worship him. So why am I here? If we go back to the upside-down kingdom, as I called it earlier, first of all, I am here to glorify God. That's the reason I was created. Jesus said in John 12, verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And we look at all the previous examples. I glorify God by loving him and keeping his commandments. We read the verses in 1 John chapter 2 last night. I'll read them again. 1 John 2, 3 to 6. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, and him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So I'm here to glorify God. But does that mean, as I said earlier, we're not here the reason I'm here is not necessarily for others, but does that mean that Others are out of the picture. I would say no. So the primary reason we're here to glorify God, but when we glorify God, everything else falls into place. Because as I'm glorifying God, I'm going to obey what God commands me to do. We already read in Matthew chapter 28, his call to us as his disciples to go and to tell all nations. So yes, in glorifying God, in fulfilling my purpose to glorify God, I will be serving others. I will be calling others to Christ. We obviously have a call and an obligation to fulfill. If we're going to glorify God, we will be blessing others. We will be witnessing to others. But knowing that it's not about me, it's not about them. It is about God. It's about bringing glory to God. It's about bringing them to a place where they bring glory to God. And why, why do I stress this point? I know in, in even saying it this way, there's danger in being misunderstood when I say it's not about them or when I say it's not about others. But I'm not saying that other people don't matter. I'm not saying that personal one-on-one -on -one relationships aren't important. 
Those are important. We, we find the, the Bible, the scriptures teach us they're important. But what I'm trying to relay is that when I prioritize individual needs and view it as what I am doing for them, how I am helping them, then there's a danger of making decisions based on what I think is best for them or what I think is best for me and them rather than what is God want for them? What does God want for me? Instead of glorifying God, we begin to glorify man. If witnessing and ministry is about me and them, then something happens that we see on the mission field, and I really think it happens here in the States as well in ministry. It's called ministry fatigue or burnout. Another term could be rejection. Because if I make it about me and about them, what if that person rejects the gospel? What if that person rejects the truth? Suddenly, if it's me and them, I'm the one rejected. I'm the one that's left wondering, what did I do wrong? But when it is about them coming to a place where they glorify God, and that is how we approach it. Yes, we are doing all we can to bring them to a place to glorify God. But if it is about them and God and not about them and me, when they make a decision to reject the truth, they're rejecting God. They're making, making a decision not to glorify God. I don't know if that makes sense, but what I'm, I'm just trying to show that when we spend too much time on me, in our witnessing, in our relationships, I believe that can burden us down. Discouragement is even greater. And I'm not saying discouragement doesn't happen when someone rejects God. But I think it's easier to leave it up to God to plant the seed. But only God can cause that seed to germinate. If our witness, witnessing and ministry is about them and God, then I can rest in the fact that when someone rejects truth, they're not rejecting me, but they're rejecting God. We're called to sow the seed into water, just like when we planned our gardens this spring. We sow the seeds, we prepare the soil, we water the seeds, but we cannot make that seed germinate. Only God can cause the seed to germinate through the working of the Holy Spirit. So what about me? said before, I'm at the bottom of the upside-down kingdom. My primary purpose is to glorify God. If I do this, I will obey all, in doing this, I will obey all his commandments. And everything else will fall into place. When we are glorifying God, when we are doing what his word says, at that point, 
I will care for his creation. I will witness and care for others. I will have relationships with others that are upbuilding, that are bringing glory to God. I'll know what God's will is for my life because I'm willing to do whatever he asks. When we put ourselves at the bottom to serve, to do whatever God asks us to do, I believe that God will show us his will when we're willing to do whatever he asks. Just looking back on my life since I became a Christian, I think the, I should say, I know the times when I felt the most uncertain about God's will for my life. The times when I was asking, God, what do you want me to do? I don't know what I should be doing. Those were the times when Andy was getting in the way. When Andy was saying, I want to do this, God, but what am I supposed to do? If we glorify God with our entire lives now, I believe we'll be given the grace and strength to face anything he'll call us to. As we heard earlier this evening, it seems the world around us is getting darker. We're not surprised about anything. War and persecution could very well come. And now is the time for us to get right with God, to glorify God with all of our lives so that we can be filled with his grace, we can be filled with his power, we can be glorifying God, and we can be passing that blessing of glorifying God onto others that in the end we can be part of all nations, kindreds, and people and tongues. Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride ordained adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from heaven, out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Brothers and sisters, it's my desire that each and every one of us would be part of that throng around God's throne says God himself shall be with them and be their God and as, as we look at the world around us we, we can at times become fearful of what's going to be next what's going to happen next but we don't need to be fearful because we have this promise that these things are all going to be history they're all going to be wiped away. There's not going to be any more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. It's going to be gone. And we, who remain faithful, will be in that place, bringing glory to God.
So let each one of us glorify God with our lives now so that we can be part of part of that heavenly throng that is glorifying God in the perfect place that he's prepared for us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for another opportunity to study your word. Thank you for your glory, for your creation, for showing us your glory for, through your creation. Lord, we know that the half has not been told. The things that we see here, the things that marvel us here, are nothing compared to the glories of heaven. Lord, to give us a renewed desire to bring glory to your name, to bring others to a place of bringing glory to your name. Lord, help us. Give us strength to face the tests, to face the trials, to face the disappointments, the temptations, the discouragements that come here on earth. And Lord, knowing that we can face these things because there's coming a day when these things will be passed. The disappointments, the tears will be passed and we will come go to live with you in heaven. Lord, I pray for each one that's here tonight that each of us would have a desire to worship you, to glorify you, to submit our lives to you. Help us to be a light to the world around us, to be a witness for you wherever we go. And God, as we relate to each other, as we relate to other people, Lord, help us to view it through your eyes, knowing that each of us individually answers to you, that our decisions are accountable to you. Help us to grow stronger as a brotherhood, to encourage each other, to grow stronger together, to grow closer to you, and to continue to glorify your name. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. See you all tomorrow night.